0: Hey girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today
1: we're talking about chopping drill tips and menacing guitar riffs in Amy Jones' Slumber Party Massacre and Deborah Brock's Slumber Party Massacre 2.
0: may or may not be our first episode of this podcast we're not really sure how it's gonna play out yet but um what we're doing for these first few episodes is each of us that are picking films that we think kind of represent our inclinations when it comes to horror movies like everybody has the kind of movies that they like to watch the most of like they're their comfort horror if you will so naturally i chose a slasher movie And I didn't choose my favorite slasher movie, but I chose a slasher movie that I thought was really, really fun. And then it's sequel, which is bad, but also really, really fun. Because if there's two things I really like, it's slasher movies and bad movies. So this is where we're starting today. I also chose Silver Party Massacre specifically because I like that it has sort of like a feminist angle to it for like a really old school slasher film, which we'll get into kind of as we keep talking today, I'm sure. But that's why I chose. These two films. They're also written and directed both by women. And honestly, they're just like a really, really good time. Like, it's a little that's, different. That's debatable. Hey, no. <laughs> they're a good time. And it's, they're different than like your typical slasher picks. Like, I could have picked Halloween. I yeah. could have picked Scream. I almost did pick Scream, but I didn't pick Scream because I thought it was too obvious. I wanted to start with something fun and different. Yeah. So, we are. I was talking... surprised you didn't pick Halloween though. Well, I, I was wanna, actually very surprised by that. We're going to do Halloween eventually. We might do, like, Halloween and then, like, we'll do Halloween together. That's what I was thinking about doing. But, I mean, there are several, at least
1: I think there are several allusions to Halloween in this Oh,
0: so yes. Far. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, and, like, I didn't want to pick something that was, like, super, super obvious for our, like, inaugural episodes. Because, like, mm-hmm. anybody can talk about Halloween. I want to talk about some of the Masker. Because, like, that is what I think is the most interesting discussion for us in these beginning stages.
1: You know what I mean? I love it. Well, it was definitely unlike anything
0: I had seen before. There we go. Well, I mean, it was... There we
1: go. It was very much like things that I have seen before, but in a very a very different tone,
2: let's say. Slumber Party Massacre 2 is unlike anything I have ever seen before. I, think the I will Slumber agree with
0: Massacre, that. I think the Slumber Party Massacre 2 is like... Genuinely, just on its own individual plane, it's like if somebody in the 1980s tried to make like a horror episode of the TV show Glee, like it just doesn't make sense.
2: And really (laughs) weird, yeah. I mean, that's like a great, (laughs) that's like a great analogy, though. It is. It's like some really fucked up episode of Glee, and like I love
0: it. I would not like recommend somebody to watch it if they weren't drinking, but like I do (laughs) love it and. (laughs) uh I'm excited to I talk about it I watched it sober
1: just so you know um, I
0: also
2: watched it sober
0: yeah I watched it sober both times and I regret it immensely um <laughs> yep. what I what I did also like about choosing these two films is when Laura and I were in college together we were taking a lot of film classes and you know, it like how we met it's how we became friends one thing that we were both like really really interested in was like feminist takes on horror films and the sort of academic like lore behind all of these things and i think that this is kind of like primed for that kind of analysis like there it's not beating around the bush like when rita may brown was writing Summer Party massacre she was thinking about phallocentrism like it's absolutely a hundred percent there and Mm -hmm. i thought that bringing that to the table would be like a fun way to start things off so Okay, so Heidi wrote the synopsis did. for this for this time. Um, I was thinking before we do that, I could go into the history a little bit, if that's okay with you guys.
2: Yeah, that makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: For sure. So it sets up a good context. So, The Slumber Party Massacre is a 1982 slasher film directed by Amy Holden and written by Rita Mae Brown. That name might sound familiar to some of you because Rita Mae Brown is a noted feminist scholar. She has. A lot of ties to the second wave feminist movement. She was a member of the Gay Liberation Front. Um, She was one of those people that, like, while she was in the National Organization of Women, because that was, like, around the time that this was all, that was all popping off, uh, she was very, very not into Betty Friedan because, like, she was saying all that homophobic stuff. So, like, she was like, hey, lesbians, bisexual women matter too. And, like, we should have our own thing. And she was, like, a huge proponent of, like, breaking away and really pushing for, like, gay rights as well as civil rights, she was like a huge activist. And I think that she really brings a lot of that perspective into the film. And the important thing to remember, (laughs) probably the most important thing to remember when you're watching this movie is that Rita Mae Brown did not write this as a serious horror film. Mm -hmm. It was written Mm -hmm. as a parody of the slasher genre. So like this came out in 82. We started seeing a lot of slasher films in the late seventies, early eighties. Like when did Halloween come out? I, I think it was the 78. Like 70s. It was 70s. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of like allusions and like references to these like really prominent and like really popular slasher movies mm-hmm. kind of getting distilled and getting a sort of feminist treatment in these Slumber Party Massacre script. Now the producers of the movie decided not to take it as a parody. So what we're watching is a very straightforward and serious performance of a joke script. And I think a lot of that humor does still come through, but it also comes through in a sort of ironic way as well. So, like, mm-hmm. there are scenes that are obviously being played seriously, but are still hilarious because of the way that the script kind of sets them up, mm-hmm. which I think makes watching it really, really fun.
1: It, it seems more like a wink to the audience at some at some points in time, as opposed to you know if you if you didn't know the background or if you didn't pick up
0: on the imagery
1: um, or the significance of the imagery, you might just think it was a typical genre film.
0: Yeah, I think that there's if you didn't know the backstory of this movie, I would walk into this being like, "Oh my god, is this real? Like, are (laughs) you kidding me? What is his weapon? Like, (laughs) like how does this end? Like, there's a lot of it that is just so incredibly off the wall and such an obvious like a parody of this genre, which makes it like fascinating to watch from like a analytical level because you're seeing all these like overt references to like typical slasher like academic talk and how women are represented in slasher movies and like what we're seeing and how these relationships are playing out all of it's super, super interesting. And I think that it's one of the reasons why this movie is successful and why it does still have a cult following today.
1: I think it's really cool that this was made in 82 as opposed to, I don't know, the 2000s or something, because at least when I think of parody, it's, it's usually something that is created you know, years and years after Kind of the genre has established itself um, so and then people kind of make fun of it um, and this was coming out at a time when slashers were still, I mean they're still popular today but not at the height that they were um, in the 70s and 80s so it was neat to think about how this was made during
0: kind of the, the hype itself yeah and it's like it's just so wild to me that like they're not they're not playing it as a parody like
2: mm-hmm. looking
0: at the poster for the movie you look at that poster and you're like, this isn't a joke. Like Mm -hmm. literally like the basic poster, like the one that's on the Wikipedia page is like a man standing with his legs open the drill in between his legs. And then all of the women laying out in front of him. And it's like, could you be any more obvious as to what you're representing here? Like Mm -hmm. genuine, it's literally a drill. It's fascinating. It's like so wild to me that this got made as like a serious thing. (laughs) but it works <laughs> so um let's go ahead and you can start walking through the summary do you want us to jump in if we want to talk about something specifically or like do you want to just go and then yeah us afterwards
2: feel free to jump in cool anytime it's probably it's, it's easiest to talk about this movie kind of like walking through it i would agree with that okay so here we go With her parents out of town, 18-year-old Trish decides to hold a slumber party with her friends on the basketball team like old times. Trish tries to invite Valerie, the new girl who lives across the street from her, but Valerie declines. As Trish and her friends, Kim, Jackie, and Diane, start their walk home, one of their classmates, Linda, returns inside the school to grab her textbooks. As she tries to leave, she discovers she's been locked in the building and is hunted down by escaped murderer, Russ Thorne, who kills her with a power drill.
0: Russ Thorne. It's a really Mm -hmm. dumb name. It's Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal name.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That night at the party, Trish, Kim, Jackie, and Diane commit two cardinal sins of horror films, drinking and smoking weed. Two of their classmates, Jeff and Neil, show up to creep on the girls and hopefully scare them later as a prank. The boys get quite a show through the window while they watch the girls change. Later, Diane's boyfriend shows up and while the car is parked in the garage, she and John make out and he tries to convince her to leave with him so they can have sex. Diane asks Trish if she could leave with John to go get more provisions, but Trish sees through it and lets her go anyway. When Diane gets back to the car, she finds her decapitated boyfriend and is then also murdered by Russ with the power drill shortly thereafter. Across the street, Valerie is babysitting her younger sister, Courtney, who overhears the screams as Diane is killed, but shrugs it off as nothing more than slumber party games. Back at the party, the pizza man has finally arrived, but when Jeff and Neil answer the door, they find the delivery guy with his eyes drilled out. They drag the body into the house and come up with a plan. Jeff and Neil will both try to go for help. One will try to go to Valerie's house, and the other to the neighbor, Mr. Content. Content is that correct? Con, con- content? content, content, content. I think it's content snail guy. I'm just gonna remember. call him Snail
0: Man. Yeah, Snail Guy. He was Snail real. Guy. There's a Snail Guy. He's, he's out there like just smashing snails. Apparently, like a, a thing fucking people uh,
2: with, like with, a, with, a, with a, it's like a like hatchet. A, yeah, it was like, right. it was like yeah. a butcher, it butcher like a knife, like a cleaver. So Mr. Content, who has already been murdered by Russ. Neither Jeff nor Neil succeed and are both killed by Russ, who then finds a way into Trish's house and kills Jackie. Trish and Kim hide in her bedroom with knives and overhear Valerie and Courtney enter the house to check on them. Concerned they will give their location away or draw attention to Valerie, they stay quiet, but Russ sneaks in through the window behind them and kills Kim as Trish runs away. After finding Kim's body in the fridge, Courtney runs out of the house and Valerie hides in the basement. The basketball coach, having heard the girls scream over the phone when they found the pizza man arrive, comes to check on them. She fights Russ with a fire poker and distracts him while Trish stabs him. However, Russ disembowels the basketball coach with the drill. Just as he's about to kill Trish, Valerie runs in with a machete and chases him outside. She slices off the tip of his power drill and then hacks off his hand. Hell yeah, she as, does. Yeah, she does. <laughs> as he comes at her, she slices open his stomach and he falls back into the pool. But in true slasher fashion, however, he gets one last go at them as he climbs out of the pool and Valerie finally kills him.
0: Yes, Valerie. And the movie just ends. It's like, <laughs> they're just like
1: crying and, and it just like ends. They're totally traumatized.
2: Which sets oh it up God. nicely
0: for the
1: second film, but we'll get there.
0: So... Hope we'll get there. <laughs> My notes are very, like, all over the place, but I did yeah. star, like, five different things that I thought were worth talking about. Yeah. Sweet. So, if you want, we can kind of use that as a blueprint going through this movie and then see how for it sure. stacks up with what we have for the second one. Yeah. So, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, because I think it's the most obvious and, like, immediate thing mm-hmm. that we get, is this idea of voyeurism. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because mm-hmm.
0: Hot Diggity Dog um, is a spread <laughs> through both of these movies. Literally, my first note, like, if you look at my page, the very first note that I have listed underneath the titles, of The Party Massacre, is the word boobs immediately. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, naked to like, the first scene.
1: Yeah, and then you get the shower scene, which is kind of, like, seems kind of, like, softcore porn, almost, the way yeah, it's filmed. Sure.
0: Not even kind of. That's, like, what it is. <laughs> True.
1: Yeah, it and is. And then,
0: like... Even in that scene, like, you see a lot of, like, shots of, like, the girls looking at each other, and then there's the guys looking at the phone woman outside Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. before,
0: like, she acknowledges them, and then there's the guys Mm -hmm. watching the girls at the party, obviously, and all the shots that are in Russ's point of view. There's a lot of those, too, which is very Halloween of them. Mm -hmm. So, like, one thing that I was thinking about, and I don't know, like, what exactly this has to do with the script versus, like, how it was produced mm-hmm. or, like, the director and the producer's vision versus, like, what Rita Mae Brown was thinking. Mm-hmm. But, like, I wonder, like, what exactly all of that, the different instances of voyeurism have to do with the overall, like, thematic subversion of the genre. Because, like, mm-hmm. obviously, Naked Women is part of a... It's a slasher staple. Like, if there's not mm-hmm. boobs in the movie, like, what are you doing? Like... <laughs> yeah,
1: very true. I even read a little bit about the production of the film and I guess there was a guy, I think his name was Roger Corman, I could be wrong, but he was kind of like a big, I think, producer at the time and he made a lot of genre films like this and it said that he gave directors a lot of creative freedom but one of his requirements was that they had to show basically nudity and nudity and violence in order to piece together a trailer that would incite people to come see the movie. So I think some of that was probably just like, oh, well, we have to put boobs in here to get people to come see the movie, unfortunately, because of that. But yeah, it could have also been to promote a certain type of message, which I'm not exactly sure what that would be.
0: I think that it is interesting. I don't know if you guys would agree with me saying this, but I think it's interesting that the instances of nudity that we see in the film are not sexual in nature. It's like girls just like getting dressed and undressed. It's mm-hmm. girls showering like you're not seeing mm-hmm. anybody get naked for the intention of having sex mm-hmm. there is i think one scene where there is like sexual nudity because i think you when see when they're in the car girl's yeah the it's car when they're vest. in the
2: car yeah
0: and it's like that really extended <laughs> take on her fucking nipple <laughs>
2: it's <laughs> so, so uncomfortable
0: it's so weird yeah. and it's so random but it's the only instance mm-hmm. of like like sexual nudity you see in the film, which I think is really interesting because yeah. to me, that kind of reads as like a women in their natural state being watched and objectified mm-hmm. by the viewer or the men in the
2: film. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely what I was going to say. Cause it is, it's just like, you're just watching them go through their daily business, but somehow that's like read from the viewer as like being like sexual, like, Oh, look at this nudity. It's, it, it's so it's like uncomfortable to watch, like thinking about it from like another perspective, but it shouldn't be.
0: Yeah. And like the way the camera follows them, especially during the shower scene, it's like, yeah.
2: it's so interesting. Like,
0: I'm like, what are we supposed to make of this? Like, is it absolutely like, the camera is like sexualizing these women when they're just like in a normal environment mm-hmm. and like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it was hard for me to like figure out like what of that is mm-hmm. the studio. What of that is like a directorial
2: choice. And it's also it's also interesting too because like when we first meet Trish, she's like sleeping in her childhood bedroom and Mm -hmm. she's she later then like throws away like some of her like childhood toys. Like she's shucking off of her her innocence. Her innocence. Yeah. That brings me
0: to the next thing I was gonna bring up too. Oh, excellent.
2: Love that. But yeah, so it it's just like this whole film, it feels in part like you, they're throwing the slumber party to try to go back to this time when things were more innocent, but they can't ever go back to that. And the nudity feels like it ties into that. Like once you reach a certain age as a woman, like you're just a sexual object.
0: Oh, I love that read.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. Yeah. I
2: mean, I kind of saw it as
1: this, It's this kind of gets into my overall critical reading, but part of it is that I saw kind of like, to me, I read it as like an invasion of women's spaces that they create with each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the camera is just kind of voyeuristically invading those. And that kind of parallels how the men in the film are kind of trying to invade their spaces when they're yeah. clearly unwanted. But I did wonder if, if that kind of subversion of gender norms in general, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, was undermined by how the camera frames the girls and their bodies. So I definitely noted that too.
0: I mean, I think that... I think that that's definitely worth interrogating because like, if you think about like Rita Mae Brown and second wave feminism in general, so much of that kind of breaks down to like the dichotomy of man and woman and how like, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, patriarchy and like penetrative sex is like kind of like the root of all like oppression in terms of like women, you know what I mean? Like that idea that we are constantly kind of like quote unquote at the mercy of men's like wants or needs or whatever kind of i think bleeds into this film because you see like every male character is like inserting himself into the narrative like he's not there organically like we don't talk to Trisha's dad at all he's like barely in the movie he's like in Mm -hmm. it for like a second i think (laughs) and
2: then um, yeah like at the very beginning
0: when the neighbor comes into the house to like help her out or whatever it's awkward and uncomfortable and he's not wanted there the mm-hmm. boys insert themselves into the narrative in a way that is like kind of rude and off-putting like he they even say that one line what is it like you know girls love to scream yeah yeah then he right said now. they kick our asses and it's like what's Which the worst? interesting like what's the worst that could happen they get mad at us like that's that's mm-hmm. they don't really care about the girls feelings like for them if they get mad yeah. at them it doesn't really matter because like whatever they still have the upper hand they're men
2: yeah, which just, like, speaks to some faults in culture at large, of course. No, oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: And it's just, like, obviously, like, the penetrative aspects of the, the fucking drill and the, the serial yeah. killer. But yeah. Uh, yeah. all of that. So, like, I do think that the script really very much so places men as the invaders of, like, these women's safe spaces.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But, yeah,
0: that literally the first thing that I wrote down, and I didn't want to go to it first because I was like, I think we're going to get there organically. And we did. Thank you, Heidi
2: you're welcome <laughs> was this
0: idea of like nostalgia and growing up because yes. mm-hmm. like we said like the first thing you see is her childhood bedroom she takes all of her kids toys and throws them away <laughs> it's like the first scene
2: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this idea but, like right before she she's a woman that now, now she like gets naked i know it's, it's so it's so interesting she's shedding her childish appearance literally appearance it's, it's, oh my
0: God. It's so and this, like This like obsession with like growing up versus like mm-hmm. wanting things the way things were. I think a really good example of this would be Courtney, the younger sister, like Valerie's younger yes, sister.
2: Absolutely. She's
0: so obsessed with being with the older girls, like putting on makeup, mm-hmm. performing femininity. She's also like in the midst of a sexual awakening. Like we have that extended yeah. sequence where she talks about French kissing. We have her looking at the Playgirl magazine and like objectifying mm-hmm. men. But then it's also interesting because when Valerie comes in and they start talking about the guy in the magazine, Courtney's like, ew. Because, like, yeah. she wants to be older, but she's not, she's obviously not there yet.
2: Mm-hmm. And that,
0: like, contradiction of, like, wanting to grow up and then still being a child. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also when she's talking about the French kissing, she's like, oh, I wanted to grow up. Like, she was yes. saying that she wasn't
0: enjoying it. Courtney's such a queen, first yeah. of all. like. <laughs>
1: But yeah, going along with that kind of idea of nostalgia and like shedding your innocence or childhood, that played into kind of what I thought about the film overall because I kind of as I mentioned before, we talked we just talked about like I thought that it depicted like the creation and then subsequent invasion of women's space. Because you get a lot of like communal spaces at the beginning of the film. Like you have the the gym where they're playing basketball and the shower scene afterwards and, and the slumber party for the rest of the movie. But like Trish has this line where she says, I think it's when Diane is trying to go hang out with her boyfriend and essentially leave the party. And Trish says, it just goes to show you can't bring back the old days. Mm -hmm. So I kind of saw that whole, like all coming full circle where they're becoming kind of becoming women and shedding their childhood and innocence. But with that comes kind of like fragmented space almost. It becomes like harder and harder to create a space with your, with your friends without having like people invaded, so they have this whole like no boys allowed policy. They mentioned that several times, mm-hmm. but they're continuously interrupted by Jeff mm-hmm. and I call them Jeff too. But you said his name's Neil,
2: yeah, it's Jeff and Jeff and Neil, yeah, like Jeff
1: and Neil talking about how they want to play pranks on them and spy on the girls. And then, of course, Diane's boyfriend is trying to get her like persuade her to leave the party, and then the driller killer himself. So it's kind of just like Time after time, some like these men Mm -hmm. trying to
0: invade that space and terrorize them in their own way. And it's like, even when. Even when we're in scenes where they're not actively being watched by men. Because, like, genuinely, mm-hmm. like, during the basketball game, boys are watching them. Yeah. When the phone woman is doing her thing, boys are watching her. When mm-hmm. they're at the party, boys are watching them. Literally, there's no escaping the male yeah. gaze. Even in those instances where they are alone, like in the shower scene, the camera is functioning as the male gaze. Yes. Like, we're mm-hmm. still seeing that voyeuristic tendency because, like, even though mm-hmm. they're alone, they're not really alone. Because the camera is right. watching.
2: Yeah. Yeah and like the, the way that the the men like react to the women like especially Jeff and Neil and Diane's boyfriend I think his name is John mm-hmm. the, the way that it almost feels like they're like isolating women or that they're like trying to control them feels a lot like antiquated ideas of marriage where Ooh. you're like the property of the guy and you kind of just like go along with whatever the guy says because that's what you're supposed to do that's just like what it suddenly reminded me of
0: which, okay, so, okay, so I am really bad at all the girls' names. It took me like three watches to realize which one is Trish. So, like, the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the girl with the boyfriend, what's her name? Diane. That's Diane. Okay, so I think that Diane is very interesting. One, because when she's walking home from school that day and we get that extended shot of like the point of view shot of somebody like following her and like watching yeah. her, it's like a so literal following. tracking shot. Yeah, it's like such a crazy build-up that just ends up being just her boyfriend.
2: Yeah. Fascinating. It's, it's so uncomfortable. Yes.
0: And it's like once again, she's alone, but she's still at the mercy of a man yeah, watching her. Absolutely. And then like his consistent badgering to get her out of the party and like mm-hmm. her finally caving and her friends being like, We know what you're doing. But like Yeah. But the fact that it, she I tries guess. to
2: lie about it.
0: Like she
2: yes. feels so guilty. <sighs> what is that? Mean? Yeah, and she's
1: like calling him from the bathroom
2: yes oh and they're like teasing her yeah
1: Mm
2: -hmm. so much just so it's so it's so
0: it's like so interesting
2: it is it really is like there's nowhere that you can go without like there being male presence somewhere Mm -hmm. you know
0: and then even the idea that like the women are in a sense kind of pitted against each other Mm -hmm. when Valerie shows up because like valerie's very pretty and valerie's very yeah. perfect and, and she's like, good Diane at basketball at yeah, yeah, like, yeah and like Diane is like i don't like her at all meanwhile yeah. trish okay so did you guys okay so during the shower scene yeah during the like, shower scene yeah trish is like staring at valerie
1: <laughs> here is my second note that i wrote down trish yeah.
0: digs valerie mark yeah trish so digs valerie like <laughs> trish is like so into valerie
2: <laughs> it's oh it's wild and like what do you guys make of valerie because I, like i feel like half the notes i wrote down were about valerie and and because she's so she's so interesting because she spends like most of the film like not interested in these women right not like interested in being friends with them And she's not, she's, like, trying to distance herself. And then, you know, she, I think she's the one that owns the playgirl, but she's not at all interested in it. Like, and she, she like, makes fun of all the girls across the street for having boys around them all the time. And when Courtney points out that she's really pretty and, like, is helping her do her makeup, Valerie is like, you need to, like, tone it down. Like, you don't want to try so hard. And she feels like some weird image of like innocence but at the same time i don't i don't know i like i'm not sure what to make of her character
0: i definitely agree with that i think that valerie is sort of like the stereotypical final girl yeah i think it's really interesting that the script does not completely distance her from sex like the playgirl being originally hers is a huge deal and Mm, the fact that she is like indoctrinating courtney into like this sort of the annals of femininity like you know showing her how to put Mm -hmm. on makeup showing her how to do her hair like all Mm -hmm. of that i think also matters because like she's becoming an object for male consumption Mm -hmm. and like i think it's really interesting that we don't really see valerie interact with any men in the film besides besides russ and the person that she does interact with the most is trish and the person that she is talking Mm -hmm. to the most is trish and i think that that's just interesting i think that like I, th- I think that there is definitely, like, a sort of lesbian thing happening here. Yeah. But because the film is shot in such a straightforward slasher way, you don't really see mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. much of it as you potentially could. Yeah. I, I would, like, I would yeah. love for another, like, Trish Valerie scene. But, like, unfortunately, yeah. mm-hmm. we don't get that.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I th- I also thought Val was an interesting character because she's very much framed as, like, having final girl potential. I don't, I mean, there wasn't any, there was not a final girl in this film, which I I liked that there were final girls who were working together. But I'm sure we'll get to that. But definitely she's framed as, like, kind of the lorry of the film, if we're thinking about allusions to Halloween. She's kind of the odd one out, but she's not necessarily different from the others. Like, usually the final girl is, like, the more masculine one. And in Mm -hmm. this film, all of them have kind of traditionally masculine qualities. And usually the final girl is the virtuous one. But, you know, Mm -hmm. none of them are really necessarily, quote-unquote, virtuous. Yeah. So she definitely, like... I was reading her as the, the potential final girl at first, mm-hmm. but then I, I could quickly see that it was not going that way. Yeah, But I did like that she was not, she was not the one that was being terrorized, but she intervened yeah. in way, which I thought was really cool.
0: I think it's also interesting to know that like the difference between Valerie and the other girls is not something that's set up by anybody else other than the women in the film. Yes. Like it's the other girls who put Valerie on the out. It's not anything mm-hmm.
2: else. Which is so right. real
1: to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the odd one out in the sense that she was the one that was not at the party. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, well, she's going to be the one who lasts.
2: Yeah. You did just say something that made me think of another thing that I thought was really interesting. You said Valerie only interacts with Russ. Like, that's the the only male that Valerie interacts with. And there's not that many male characters in the movie. And I thought it was really cool how the basketball coach is a woman. The person working mm-hmm. on the phones is a woman and the person that's installing the peephole in the door is another woman. Like there's so many women in masculine, like okay. quote unquote masculine roles. And I so, just, that, it makes me so happy.
0: Oh, hundred percent agree. And also the basketball coach and the woman who is installing the peephole are like hundred percent dating.
2: Like- oh, definitely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so another thing I want to kind of want to talk about that we are already kind of touching on right now is this idea of feminine and masculine. So yes one thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie is that these girls are jocks. Yeah. (laughs) These girls are jocks. Like they are hundred percent jocks. Like Mm -hmm. Kim, especially Kim is the blonde one, right? Yes.
2: Kim. Yeah. The one that goes back. Yeah. Yeah. So Kim is the blonde one and
0: Kim is like the sporty one. Yeah. and when they're undressing and the guys are watching them they're like wow we should have taken better notice of kim because like now that they mm-hmm. noobs, she's a woman mm-hmm. um but they're like obsessed with basketball like they call the coach to talk about like
2: some game that it happened baseball. <laughs> baseball yeah it was yeah, baseball i'm yeah, so sorry baseball.
0: they are like calling the coach
2: like hey like
0: What'd you think of this game last night? And I'm like, wow. Who scored
2: all the runs? Like we can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Yeah. But like like they
1: I, I think it's interesting that they're in the kitchen talking sports and the guys are like sitting there. Jeff has like a black eye or something. So it's like yeah. they're very much kind of subverting that expectation of mm-hmm. what we've been talking yeah. about. Yeah.
0: Which is like so interesting and different than like what you'd expect from this kind of film.
2: Yeah, and- absolutely.
0: On top of that, like, there's also obviously the obvious, like, the way they portray femininity and the way they portray female sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these girls aren't, like, dancing around the fact that they're into guys and yeah. aren't, mm-hmm. like, dancing around the fact that they're, like, you know, just, like, normal women. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, their conversations do not revolve around men, whereas yeah. the boys,
1: kind of, their conversations do Absolutely. almost always revolve around the girls. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: like if we did like a reverse Bechdel test, like it would be like, yeah, <laughs> the guys are constantly talking about women, and the women are not.
2: It which is it cool. does it does feel like the men though do fill more of like the quote traditional masculine roles though because mm-hmm. they're the ones that go out to try to go get help and they're like trying to be like the big heroes. Which I mean doesn't yeah. go very well for them. And yeah, but they when do. the women start working together. You know, it, it works out, which I think there, there's something to that.
0: Oh, I definitely, definitely think the importance of the women, like, banding together to, yeah like, murder the guy is, like, a huge, a huge, like, significant piece of the way this film ends and, like, what it's trying to say. Because, like, that's not something you see. You usually see one final girl if she wins because she's a virgin and she wins because, like, mm-hmm. she is mm-hmm. virtuous, Meanwhile, these girls have been like drinking all night, yeah. and like smoking weed, yeah. and like talking about sex, and like they still end up beating this guy because like yeah. they're working together and they're not stupid. Like, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And and yeah. going back to the two boys for a second, I did think it was interesting that they they do take on supportive roles in several senses. Like at the yeah. beginning, they're watching the girls play basketball on the sidelines, and then they're when they're walking somewhere. I think they're just walking home. One of them says, like you mentioned before. Girls love to scream, and then the other one says, "You know they beat the shit out of us." And like, yeah. you know, Jeff gets punched in the eye. I forget who punches them, him, but they're in the garage and he gets punched. Yeah, and he's That's like, so he's funny. very like, even when they're about to go out and try to get help, Trish hands him a knife, and he's very uncomfortable. Like as soon as he sees it, he's he almost changes, like the face changes immediately. He's very uncomfortable wielding the knife, and he says something about if I didn't drop out of Cub Scouts, I'd know how to use this or something like that. So I thought it was Got very it. interesting how they kind of become more supportive, like not necessarily supportive to the girls, but supportive characters in general who are less significant.
0: Yeah. Like in the context of this film, they don't have as much like agency than the women do. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And they're ineffective. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun point too, that, all the women just, like, pick up a weapon and they're like, I'll fight if yes. I have to. There's, there's no real hesitation in that. Exactly. Like, even if My- they don't really know how to wield it, they're like, I'm going to figure it out. And I think that speaks to some, like, survival instinct in women where it's like we're always attacked and you have to survive, but men like kind of have it easy. Not gonna lie. And they keep
1: they keep the <laughs> knives on them, which is great. They never people never do that. They actually they're like, oh, make sure you grab the knives like when they're about to leave the room. Yeah, and I like my favorite shot of that film, which I would put on a poster, is when they're sitting on the floor in like a semicircle, and they each have yes. a knife in their hand,
0: and they're yes. holding the knives out. I was like, this is it. This is okay. a, Like wielding the phallus. Can we talk for a second about that scene where they break that semicircle to go eat the pizza from the dead? Oh my out. god! Yes.
1: And my notes, I just
2: wrote, "Oh my god!" When she eats
0: the pizza. Oh my god. When she eats the pizza,
2: <laughs> and she just like puts the box on top of this dead body, and she's I just know. like, "What?"
0: I was like, "She is first of all everything I want to be in a human being." Like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, doesn't she say something like like when I get upset, like something not when I get upset, but like in situations like this, I I want to eat and eat food makes me feel better or something like I that. I think
2: she yeah, I think she says uh, when I get upset, like food helps or whatever. It's something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And
0: I like I love a the idea that we are seeing a woman eat. The idea that she just does not give a shit about this dead guy. She's like, you know what? I'm fucking hungry. Like, there's. If this is still warm, it's going to have my energy. It's like, okay, girl, go off. Like, eat that pizza. Like, (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. I also like one other, like, little thing that I really, really liked. And I think this is because, like, the script was originally a parody. That scene where they're reading the horoscopes. Yeah. I rewatched that scene like three times so I could (laughs) write down the actual horoscopes. So, like,. I think it's the one that she says to Diane. I don't remember exactly. The
2: Scorpio, says, of course.
0: Your power with oh, the yeah. opposite sex will get you ahead and then later mm-hmm. the guy's head falls off. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then like you'll get the you'll get the rest you deserve or relax and enjoy it is also one that they give to somebody else who I think I don't know was remember it Jackie? Or oh, maybe it's Jackie. I thought it was
2: Kim.
0: Uh, whatever wh- the point is that she dies. I think it's Kim and I think Kim died.
2: Well, but uh, yeah. yeah, Jackie and Kim both die.
0: Um, yeah. The way that they do the Kim's body reveal is also so fucking funny. so
2: funny. Like mm-hmm. every time
0: I watch this movie, I think that scene is so good because like she keeps opening the fridge and it it's, yeah. like so funny. And then like when she finally falls out, like it's like oh my god,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's
0: so good. Oh my god.
1: Can we talk about? We mentioned it previously, but can we talk more about? how the girls band together to defeat the driller killer.
0: Yeah, we should probably talk yeah. about the movie more. Like, let's just do that.
1: <laughs> because I really appreciated that there that there wasn't just one final girl, that
0: they worked together.
1: Because they, you know, they start the movie off with a very clear understanding that they are team players. I mean, they're literally on a basketball team together. So it's definitely like, you know, they're going to work together to overcome the ultimate obstacle that they meet in the film in order to win, I guess, in a sense. But it's definitely like, you know, with them all crying at the end, it's kind of like a shared trauma that they've now experienced yeah. and is very disheartening in a way, but it's also I don't I don't want to say uplifting, but
0: it's it's, it's kind promising. of promising. It's kind of uplifting. It's, it's like, promising. Like, like the ending isn't like a happy one. But like, right. they're all very no. fucked up at the end yeah. of it. But like they beat him and they mm-hmm. beat him together and like It's pretty, like, he is dead. Like, even in the Mm -hmm. sequel, he doesn't come back. Like, he's dead. Mm -hmm. Like, they killed him. Like, (laughs) And I think that's important, you know, because usually it's, like, he's gone, but he's not really gone, you know what I mean? Like, at the end of Halloween, she looks out the window and guess who's not there. You're not seeing any of that, which I think is good because there's kind of, like, a a solace in the fact that they actually did win, you know what I mean? (laughs) But also, like, they she fully just like chops the tip off that drill and i could yeah
1: it
2: exactly and it makes a little noise which yeah. is great and his face he's so horrified it's, it's <laughs> so satisfying he, Ooh, she castrated thought. him
1: oh my god mm-hmm. yeah it, and definitely knowing that this is a parody that the phallic imagery that pops up all the time is enjoyable especially the knives and the machete and the fire yeah. poker, like when she pulled out that fire poker, I was like, "Oh, it's on! Like this is gonna, oh, be- it's on. <laughs> this is gonna be good." <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't know why Courtney didn't say anything when she saw the coach going to uncover the doom. Like, I wondered why she would not like, "Hey, you know, that's the killer." I mean, she kind of helps by tripping him later, but yeah. I didn't
2: quite I understand it, why she it, was. It's silent. like self preservation.
0: Yeah, I think that she was just scared. Like
2: that's how I read it, yeah. at least. I mean, because if she had had said something, then like he would have known that there was somebody else in the room and he wouldn't have stopped looking for her. And that's a a consequence that we had seen earlier in the film. That's why Kim and Trish don't want to call out to Courtney and Valerie's because the last time that they like called out for someone, it was Jackie, I think. And Jackie ended up dead. Yeah.
0: Well, no, Jackie died. Jackie died when she opened the door, right? Yeah. What was that? Didn't Jackie die when she opened the door? Uh yes. yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yes. That was because she was trying to open it for Val. And then I thought it was interesting when Kim and Trish are in the bedroom and Trish is like, well what if what if Val's working with
0: the killer? Like what if they're friends? Oh yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, right? Like <laughs> Women always gotta be trying to tear each other down. hmm Yeah. But then they end up working together and they, they defeat the guy and like all is all's good.
1: Yeah. What did you make of the killer's motive? Like, he has I don't know, three lines maybe at the very end, where he's basically saying I loved you, and it takes a lot of love for a person to do this. Like, what did you make of that? so fucked up. It's
2: it's creepy every time I watch it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it definitely it reminded me initially of, like, the language of a domestic abuser. Like, Mm -hmm. the idea that violence stems from love. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this idea that, like, you know, there is such an inextricable link between male emotion and violence. And, like, mm-hmm. how, especially when you think about, like, the way men pursue women and how, like, obsessive it can get occasionally. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just really interesting that, like, that's the way that they choose to portray this, you know, this psychopath. Like, he's obsessed. Yeah. He He's equating the violence that he's committing with like romantic intent and like it speaks once again to second wave feminism and this idea that like men regardless of their intentions are inherently oppressive like whether or not you believe that I think it definitely comes through in the script because like that's Rita B. Brown's point of view Mm -hmm. like despite even their best intentions men can't shirk their oppressive tendencies
1: well there's also victim blaming there like I'm pretty sure he says, you know you want it you love it and she's like, yeah, I have yeah. no idea who you are. Why are you doing this to me? Just I just have no idea you. who
0: you are. Yeah. Oh my god. It's so wild and still relevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm Oh, it's so messed up. Okay, I think I don't have anything else to talk about.
2: Are you guys ready to dive down this rabbit hole?
0: Yeah, I think I don't even ready. know what I'm going to oh. say about this. Okay, so Slumberbury Massacre 2 is radically different than the original slumber party massacre um yeah i, yeah. I this yeah. one like according this is according to wikipedia but like this one is labeled as a black comedy slasher film according to the wikipedia page so like i think that they made an attempt to be a little more tongue-in-cheek with it but like watching it it's hard to tell mm-hmm. it's hard it's very hard to tell i think that because this movie is once again like written and directed by a woman, I think that mm-hmm. there is like a definite dialogue with the first movie, but I don't know how effective that dialogue is. Yeah. Um, basically, this this movie is based around Courtney Bates, the younger sister of the first film. And now she's a senior in high school. She invites her crush, whose name is Matt, to come to a condo for her birthday weekend with her friends, Amy, Sheila, and Sally. The girls all have like a little girl group together, like a little rock band. And so there's a lot of musical numbers in this movie for some reason. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Upon arriving to the girl's boyfriends, Jeff and TJ show up at the house. Is it TJ who is the worst? I think it's I TJ. It's TJ is
1: TJ. the worst.
0: Yeah, the TJ is probably worst. the actual worst. Um, yeah. Anyway. That night, Courtney has a dream of the killer from the first film who is now reincarnated as a greaser and armed with a drill bit guitar and awakens on the kitchen floor. <laughs> that day, her visions grow violent, but she is comforted when Matt arrives. Sally disappears and the group is unable to find her, but when she returns to the house... Later, she returns to the house, having left to go to the grocery store. This is after they bring in the police and have like a whole debacle about where she went. Yeah. And Courtney thinks that Courtney is... Hundred percent convinced that Sally is dead because her zit grew and exploded.
2: Yeah, and she thinks she's in the trash compactor.
0: I think it's a wonderful scene. I think that it's like so gross, classic, disgusting practical effects.
2: <laughs> oh
0: yeah. Uh, the also, on, the bloody hand sandwich. We gotta talk about that. Oh it's yeah. So fucking funny.
2: <laughs> or the the so bathtub funny. of blood. <laughs> yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then Courtney and Matt are left alone. Matt surprises Courtney with a birthday cake, and the two begin to have sex. The killer impales Matt through the chest and chases Courtney downstairs. He jumps out of her like dream scape. An important thing to know if you have not seen this movie is that Courtney only dreams about the killer when she's having like a like a spicy, sexual,
2: sexual yeah.
0: dream. arousing dream. Yes, yeah.
2: and in this, or if moment- she's having like sexual fantasies. Because it's not only when she's streaming. Yes.
0: In this moment, the driller killer leaps from her subconscious and murders her boyfriend. And then, (laughs) um, so then he chases Courtney downstairs and he sees all the other people. And then he impales Sally with the drill. And then Sheila and TJ run away while Courtney and Amy leave in Jeff's car. Oh, with Jeff as well. Then Jeff is impaled by the killer. And then Courtney and Amy go back to the house. Mm -hmm. Sheila and TJ run to a nearby house for help but the killer catches up to them, and TJ dies. Sheila manages to return to the condominium before the killer murders her as well. Courtney and Amy escape, but the killer pursues them through a construction site where Amy falls to her death. Then oh, Courtney... you missed the
2: musical number.
0: I missed a lot of musical numbers. We gotta talk about the musical number. We'll <laughs> that was about the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> Courtney <laughs> then uses a torch to light the killer on fire which is cool. And Mm -hmm. then sometime later, Courtney wakes up next to Matt, but he morphs into the killer. Oh my God. Oh no. And then she wakes up again in a, Oh my God. And screams frantically as a drill bursts through the floor and the credits roll. So to be like, you know, too long. Don't read. Basically this movie is about a girl who, when she gets turned on, hallucinates that a like rock star, Elvis wannabe greaser killer with a drill on the end of his guitar will start murdering everybody. (laughs) Then eventually, this man leaps from her subconscious into reality and kills all of her friends. But you don't know for sure if this is actually happening or if it's a dream because at the end, she wakes up in a psych ward.
1: (laughs) The fucking cutscenes every like 10 minutes to him just going on his guitar. Dude, and his weird. feet like dancing made me laugh every single it,
0: time i was like what was, the fuck is this movie i unabashedly think that the guy playing the driller killer does an amazing job like, like oh yeah oh yeah like, he's candy he as hell it. and i love it he is phenomenal he knows they what told
1: him to it, go rock, rock star they were just like hey you're a rock star with a drill guitar and he just went for it
0: he was like i fucking got you like he i knew
1: exactly what he was doing
0: Yes! I love the, when it's, like, his actual musical number, I love how it's so (laughs) obvious that he's lip syncing. (laughs) Yeah, and when he's, like, he's, like,
1: dancing down the hallway toward, I can't remember her name, Sheila? Maybe Sheila, who's, like, screaming her head off.
0: I think Sheila is the one who's the most topless. she's the one who who takes her bra off. She grinds on the lamp.
1: Yeah,
0: she (laughs) goes, she goes, no bra No, seriously, like, if you're listening to this episode and you have not seen Slumber Bunny Massacre 2, I will say that what we're saying, everything does happen. Like, there is a scene where this girl takes off her bra and grinds on a lamp. There's a scene where this man lip syncs to some song and, like, dances across the living room? In the hallway. He does the worm. worm. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. Yes! It's genuinely buck fucking wild and like what's so interesting about this movie to me is that it's filmed in such a strange way like with the straight on shots yes like the straight on shots the fact that all the sets look fake like I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. because of budget or because like they want it to look that way and like Mm -hmm. everything is pastel for some reason and like when they cut to the scene of Matt in his room all of his posters are like at like a 36 degree angle for some reason. And it's like, yeah. It's
2: and like, I remember yeah. when Natalie and I were watching this together, because she was correct in saying, if we didn't watch it together, I probably would have given up. But <laughs> like, cause we were spending a lot of time talking about how the camera angles were so weird. And mm-hmm. it, it made no sense for the longest time. We were like, what, like, what is the point of this?
1: Yeah, I think it's just supposed to be disorienting. Like, you know, yeah. are we in the dreamscape? Are we not in the dreamscape? Yeah. What's going on? Maybe just to reflect her confusion, her anxiety, and her just kind of mental breakdown.
0: Also, like, the script is just so bad. And mm-hmm. then, like, oh, it's ridiculous. delivery of the lines from the script are just oh, so, bad. Like, they're it's so bad. Like, so, it's so bad to the point where I think they're doing it. Like, maybe they're doing it on purpose. Like, maybe it's supposed to be that bad. Like, I just, I can't tell.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's so hard and I'm like i don't want to say that they're not good actors or actresses but who some of that delivery was really rough like mm-hmm. i i can't and like the, the drummer the
0: drummer i i loved sally <laughs> <laughs>
1: sally just wanted to be a star okay and she was gonna write she the was.
0: best damn song anyone had ever heard I also like there were like legitimately like musical numbers that somebody had to like write and like perform, mm-hmm. and it's like why mm-hmm. would you spend all this time on musical numbers when the dialogue is just so bad?
2: I mean, yeah. honestly, the songs weren't like amazing, but they were kind of like bops.
0: I love the grungy like girl rock, yeah, vibe. I'm like mm-hmm. so yeah, angry. and
1: Matt's Matt's sitting on the hood of a car listening to them, right? Yeah, totally yeah. so like, fangirling over them. <laughs>
2: love it he's like doing that little head bop it's like they told me i had to look like i was interested <laughs> i can't i also like. i actually thought that matt was
1: okay like he he seemed like a pretty good guy like okay she was totally yeah. freaking out he was like okay we're gonna i'm gonna stay here with you like he didn't ever say like i don't believe you maybe that was
0: subcom like subtext here's the thing the first I'm time ready. I watched it, I thought that that was a good guy. And then the second oh, no. time I watched it, I was like, okay, she had, like, literally, like, a mental breakdown, like, two hours ago. And then you're going to try to have sex? Like, literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, immediately tries to get into her pants. And then, and like, you know, this stuff is happening, and, like, the guys are like, she's crazy. Like, he's not he's not saying that she's crazy, but he's also not
2: disagreeing with them. Yeah. He's like, well, that's true.
0: I don't know. you know, He's what I mean? playing
2: yeah. the nice guy. It's, like, a, it's almost manipulative. It is manipulative. Mm -hmm. And
1: I think I read that because this is the first time I was seeing it. And compared to the other guys in the film, he
2: seemed like, you know, night and shining armor. And that's one of the interesting things, though, about this movie, too, is like, it it does carry a lot of the same themes. But it's now introducing the fact that even the guys that you think are nice are also predatory.
0: Yeah. True. Yeah. it's It's just very interesting. I don't know what to make of... The Driller Killer as a character. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know
2: I, what he is. I had, a, I had I, thoughts about it, but.
1: Yeah, same. I mean, he was kind of Freddy Krueger ish in general, just well, yeah. his nature of being. But, I mean, I kind of saw it as like, taking the sexual predatory nature of the Driller Killer in the first one and just amping it up. Like, mm-hmm. kind of slightly intended, but amping it up majorly as, like, in the first one, he is. He's kind of like a symbolic sexual predator. That's how I read him in the first one. I guess Mm -hmm. this is technically a different guy in the second one. But, like, now he's a literal sexual predator. Like, he is pursuing her for non-consensual sex. And he's kind of, like, terrorizing the girls for the fun of it. Like, he gets this weird enjoyment
2: out of it. It is, though, really weird that... The, this driller killer is part of her subconscious, so it mm-hmm. it's so it, it's crazy because she only ever sees him when she is like having fantasies about boys and or is it is it also when she's looking at the girls? Um, it's also when she's
0: looking They're at the girls. And there's like there sexual, are a of scenes yeah. where she's like daydreaming, and you see shots of like the girls.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean because he because the driller killer is part of her. Does that maybe mean that she is viewing herself as a sexual predator, or that she's because like I mean, it is so much of it is through her perspective, and she is like like a voyeuristic force in the film. I mean, she's like objectifying her friends when they're having that like slumber party sequence where they're like hitting each other with pillows and they're all naked yeah and Mm -hmm. then like they the film makes a big deal about not like a big deal but the
0: film does note that she is a virgin and the film does note Mm -hmm. that she has trauma Mm
2: -hmm. yeah
0: and that that trauma is like tied up into like her sister and like everything that happened in the of of movie so like there is still this like undercurrent of the typical slasher tenant like sex equals death that's Mm -hmm. still there Mm -hmm. so I guess you could read the driller killer as, like, that part of her that is manifesting that trope Mm -hmm. and being like, okay, if I have sexual thoughts, then, like, I deserve to die, which is insane, obviously, but, like, potentially a way for her to, like, cope with the fact that she's having these urges and doesn't know how to deal with them because, like, in her past, like, sexual activity meant pain and suffering. And then add on to that the fact that she's also having these thoughts about her female friends, which I'm sure Heidi's going to talk about because I know she has an article she wants to bring up.
2: Oh, I actually expected you to bring it up.
0: I mean, I, you weren't more into it than I was. Is it I'm about like, the
2: queer reading of the film? Yes. Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah I think I read that one.
1: Oh, okay, I read cool. one about it. It might not be the same one, but yeah.
0: But like, I think that it's necessary and also like something that we kind of discussed when you sent me that article yeah. is just the idea of like when you are a woman who's having like bisexual thoughts or like sexual thoughts about people who are like your friends. You're like, am I a shitty person for thinking this way about my, I don't want to objectify my Mm -hmm. friend. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to, am I, am I predatory for thinking this woman is attractive? You know what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. that's part of the bisexual experience, Mm -hmm. which makes sense that it would kind of come out this way maybe. Mm
2: -hmm. And especially when you, when you think about like what we were saying about the first film that like Coming into, like, a female space with, like, voyeurism feels very predatory. That, I mean, it's not Courtney's fault, right? And there's no fault with Courtney that she's been invited into a female space because she is female. Yeah. And, like, being interested in women, like, that doesn't make her predatory, even though in the first film, you know, you would say that about the men, right? Uh Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. It's just, I don't know, it's fascinating. But the the article that Natalie was referencing, I found, was on SlashFilm? SlashFilm.com It's called <laughs> How Slumber Party Massacre 2 Rewrote the Language of the Slasher Horror Film and Became One of the Great Queer Horror Movies. Which one I read that was like, what? I think I, I read that one. I think that's it. I, it yeah, and like Natalie was saying, it, just, like, it talks about Courtney being bisexual and like refusing to acknowledge herself and then like when she does, apparently the driller killer comes out, which is really weird. It's a great article though. Everybody should read it. <laughs> Just saying. I think also like there
0: is like definitely a difference in the way that the men and women are portrayed in this film. Yes. Specifically in terms of like who believes Courtney and who doesn't believe Courtney. Mm-hmm. Like the cops do not also, oh my God, Laura, did you catch that one of the cops' last names was Kruger?
1: I yeah no yeah I didn't.
0: <laughs> this girl I didn't. Loved Nightmare on Elm Street. You can fucking tell. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my gosh.
1: yeah. But the sure.
0: cops don't believe her. and The men don't believe her outright. Even Matt is ambivalent about whether or not he believes her. But the girls mm-hmm. are all much more willing to see her side of things. Like even yeah. if they don't, even if they don't believe her, they're more like okay, like what's up? And I think that that's significant because women are constantly gaslighted and constantly ignored yeah. and
2: mm-hmm. i think
0: that this movie does kind of speak to that on some level whether intentionally or unintentionally i don't know what is intentional in this movie i've known
1: mm-hmm. and even you know even sometimes when they seem i think there are sometimes where they seem a little doubtful or they don't really know what to think mm-hmm. that might even be kind of exacerbated by the, the guys who are like totally writing her off mainly tj because mm-hmm. he's an asshole so that could be contributing to it, even to those times where they're like, "Well, I don't know," like, but they do seem very, they do want to help her and they do want to try to understand what she what she's feeling and why she's feeling that way. Yeah, and
0: like sometimes you kind of get it, like the chicken scene where she's like, "The chicken yeah. attacked me," and they walked in, and it was just a fucking oh, chicken God. on the floor. Yeah, like, a, that's hilarious. Yeah. Like, objectively, yeah. so funny. <laughs> and like B, they're like, "Girl, it probably." I want to know, like, practical that. effects how <laughs> they did that. Oh, it had to have been practical. It looked practical. They had to make that little chicken guy. Oh, it did. I just
1: want to know how they did it. They, like, blew oh it to her shirt or something. It's so, it looked so... like it was just slapped on there.
0: And it went right for her vagina. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was, like, let me up in there. It was so funny. I can't. I can't. This, this movie is so ridiculous. It really
1: yeah, is. but on, like, a broader... On a broader scale, there's definitely... Like I noted two major themes, which I'm sure every person watching this film would note, and that would be trauma and PTSD, yeah. and mental health, and how those how those work together, and then just the general anxiety surrounding sex, because okay. I mean, that's obviously there. And then I was trying to think about how there are like several objects that appear several times in the film, like the the sex doll and the the book I don't know what the book is called but the book that they keep reading which is it's apparently like, very uh, like wet and,
2: wet and Wild or something? Yeah,
1: something like that. So I was trying to think about like how those things fit into the film or how they would fit into a a broader reading of the film. Or if they would if at all or if they were just like, man, eh, let's just put these in there because this movie's about you know, dealing with sex and sexual thoughts and things. I
0: like think that. Yeah. it's interesting that at least those two things are both kind of like they have like a dichotomy in terms of like what they represent for sexuality like the blow up doll is obviously much more of a male centric like Mm -hmm. sexual whereas the book is a lot more feminine and you can get that read a because like the men are the ones gravitating towards the blow up the blow up doll Mm -hmm. and when tj's reading the book like he doesn't really give a shit about the book but he's doing it to turn on sheila yes Mm -hmm. which is interesting and so, like, there's this idea that, like, you know, the way men and women view sex is differently, is mm-hmm. different. And Courtney, just to add to that bisexuality reading, is, like, kind of caught up in the middle because she doesn't really know how she feels.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you... I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not sure that I agree with it, but it was something that I had, like, thought about after reading that article and we were watching it the first time and then watching it again. The terrifying, like flashes of like her trauma that she gets when she's like having her sexual fantasies it reads really like conversion therapy-esque like she's 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 identifying her sexual urges like especially maybe you know the ones that she has towards the girls with pain and with trauma to try to make them go away interesting and then you know when they push her in the water it's like she they they say they exercise her demons which also feels mm-hmm. like related to like this conversion therapy the only piece that i can't like figure out in her dreams are why she hallucinates valerie dying over and over and over again It it's the only one that like i can't i can't understand like if she's having all of these dreams about her sexual impulses why would she kill her sister over and over again I mean, especially because Valerie in the first movie is not, is not like that. She's not as forward about her sexual impulses as a lot of the other girls.
0: But Valerie is kind of Courtney's gateway into that sexual awakening. That's
2: correct. Yeah.
0: Like she, she's the one who had the magazine. She's the one Mm -hmm. who's dressing Courtney up. Mm-hmm. And like, also, like you know, she would definitely associate Valerie with like her first traumatic male experience, which was you know what happened with Ross. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good point. Yeah. And like, obviously, Valerie's not coming back from it. So like, the idea mm-hmm. that Valerie got so stunted, Courtney mm-hmm. would obviously like. I'm sure there's they like. Guilt. Up like, her. like there's guilt involved there too. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's also kind of like Courtney kind of distances herself from Val in yeah. real life because like yeah. her mom says they're going to go visit her. But yeah.
0: she's like, no. You guys, Sunday is my birthday, and I don't want to go to a mental hospital.
1: Oh, i being serious. Like, I thought you were having a problem, and I was talking over you.
2: When, when she but, said tomorrow's my birthday, I was like, no, it's not.
0: my birthday, right. and I don't want to go to a mental hospital. I'm going to cry over this like, goo that you served yeah. me for dinner. Um, yeah.
1: So it's very, she was very much, um, I saw her as her trying to distance herself
2: yeah. from Val because she didn't want to end up like her. Mm-hmm. That, that makes total sense. I, I just thought it was just interesting. Because you oh, can just imagine she never comes back, but, like, to have her murdered over and over and over again, I was like, that's messed up. Like, mm-hmm. she also, like, has a lot of shame revolving around her
0: sister. Like, that's pretty yeah. obvious. She, yeah. like, lies about her being in college, like. Yeah. It's like it's not mm-hmm. you went through a trauma. It's not like it's it's okay well, yeah. that your sister's fucked up.
2: Well think about but... the time period though too. Like people weren't as open about their mental health problems. Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, like I the thing that like keeps getting me about this film is that I can't tell what is intentional and what is not intentional. Yes. Like I I feel like if people who have watched this movie and listened to this episode, they're going to be like, "You guys are reading way too into it. Like it's just like a fun time." Because like in a lot of ways it's like it's just like a bad movie, but like yeah. there's so much going on here. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like dream shit and like yeah there's like a guy with a guitar and he's killing people and like his, the way that the driller killer speaks in this is reminiscent of that monologue of Russ Thorne in the end of the first yes. movie. Like he's Definitely. very like, I love you. I'm obsessed with you. I want you. You know what I mean? And like, right. I think that that is intentional and like interesting. Yeah. I think that links the two the
1: most obviously, like yeah. their kind of motive for doing it. But I, but as I said before, I think, The second Driller Killer seems a bit more predatory in a sexual nature, even though Mm -hmm. the first one was more symbolic, definitely, with the drill.
2: Yeah. Well, isn't it still incredibly symbolic, though? Like, think about, like, a rock and roll lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the symbolism is
1: definitely there. At his waist. It's just more overtly, like, I want to have sex with you. Like, he even says... Yeah. I... There's one sequence where he says something like, I want you, I want to have you, or something like that. Yeah, I already have Valerie, now I want you. Yeah, to put it like really,
0: yeah. really, to put it like a really, really basic sense, this movie is like way hornier than the first movie. Like, absolutely. The yeah. first movie kind of like tries to hide it. It is like, you know, like, yeah, we're talking about sex, but like, we're not talking about sex all the time. This one's like, mm-hmm. I, right off the gate, like, I am thinking about, I am having a sex dream in this first scene. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> she's like, not, mm-hmm. they're not beating her around the bush. This movie's about mm-hmm. sex and like sexual anxiety and like mm-hmm. bisexuality and like what all of that means. One yeah. thing that I did also kind of want to talk about was that fucking long as hell scene of them dancing yeah. naked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I genuinely do not know what to make of that. It's so awkward and cringy. I, I mean, on the surface I think it's a callback to,
1: to the similar scene in the first film, but just kind oh, of like undoubtedly. revised yeah. to go with the to go with the musical theme. And who's, who's looking in on them? Are the guys looking in on them, or are they just at the but, door? It, no, it's the uh, guys looking in on them. It's the exact same in, yeah. setup. It's the exact yeah. same setup okay. as the first
0: movie. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that, too. Like, what is the purpose of this? How is it? How is it? I mean, maybe it's not a fair question to
0: ask how anything is furthering the plot, because <laughs> the <laughs> it's, plot itself it, is... I think... There's not much there. Anyways. Yeah. It, it feels so much different than it does in the first movie, because like like we yeah. kind of said when we were talking about the first film, it's like it was much more like an invasion of their space, like they were just mm-hmm. existing right. as women, and like yes, they are still existing as women in the other movie, but it feels a lot more like a performance like, yes. why, why, is she, why is she fucking like pole dancing on the lamp, like I don't, I don't get it, it's so and like weird. she's doing that thing with her tongue yeah, like. the way that
1: they're each individually shot like straight on yeah, it's definitely unique. But yeah, in the first one, it's kind of like they're just undressing, like they're getting into their pajamas. It's just kind of like they don't really make anything of it. They're not really mm-hmm. like looking at each other's bodies, or mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's not really like the, the point is that they're they're changing their clothes. It's more like yeah, we need to get undressed in order to do this. But mm-hmm. this one's kind of more like like reveling in the the act of undressing and yeah, like being kind of sensual about it. And, like, knowing that you're hot. There's very much a sense of, like, we know we're hot.
0: There is a difference between normal sensuality and, like, what is happening in that scene. Like, yeah. I, I, it's so bastardized. It feels, mm-hmm. it feels cheap. And, like, it doesn't yeah. feel, like, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a time period thing. Maybe it's because, it's like, I don't think it's hot. But, like, it doesn't feel, like, sexy. Mm-hmm. It feels, like, no. forced. And mm-hmm. I'm, like, what? Is it supposed to be sexy? Like is it not supposed to be sexy? Like are they supposed well, to be trying too hard? Like, that's the whole
1: I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, I don't I mean, I I agree that it was not it was not really sexual in any way or sexy in any way. But I think like I kind of got the sense that they were trying to like play up their own sexiness in a way. As kind of like a fun it was it was like a fun thing that they wanted to do. I mean they were they were drinking too, so like that kind of played into it. But, like, I think the way that they felt about what was going on is different than how the, the audience is supposed to feel about it.
0: Yeah. And maybe it's, like, you know, we're rock stars. We're going to this condo. And we're going to get drunk. And we're, like, hot. Yeah. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, maybe that's, like, what it is. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I just,
0: like, it just felt yeah. so over the top to me. And I'm, like, well, I, like watching it and being, like, I'm uncomfortable. Like yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: it kind of, I mean, it's recreating kind of, like, the male fantasy that, you know, like, women yeah. having a pillow fight and the feathers going everywhere yeah. and they're wet and they're their clothes mm-hmm. are off so it's kind of like recreating that and then you have the men looking in on it seeing that but it's like they're doing that for like the, the girls
0: are doing yeah. it for themselves like they want to have a good time
1: and then the men are
0: but they're like not doing yeah. it for themselves though they're, they're like not in the context of the film they're like not. yeah like <laughs> i mean I mean, like, they, they may be, like, quote-unquote doing it for themselves, but they're being watched the full time. Like, it's not the they same. Don't,
1: they don't know, I know
0: that. They, I know they don't know that. But, like, the setup, the, the, like, a narrative constructs it to be, like, it's, it's just at, it's for the sake of the guys, because they're being watched. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. like... I guess I didn't pick up on that because they don't think they're being watched. I mean, I know that the girls don't, but, like, the movie is reinforcing that they are. So, I think that to me, it kind of takes the, like, I guess, freeness out of the narrative, especially because of those, like, those dead-on shots. Like, it doesn't seem
2: Well, it's like they're from Courtney's
0: perspective. Like, it just doesn't seem realistic. I don't know. Like, maybe maybe it's over the top for that reason, because, like, because Courtney is also sexualizing it, like, it becomes Mm -hmm. more than what it is in the moment. Like, this whole movie exists on this, like, plane of, like, heightened reality. Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah I mean maybe like I think why.
1: I think as viewers I, th- I think we're supposed to view it as like here's a, a depiction of this fantasy and it kind of goes along with like the whole dreamscape feel mm-hmm. of the movie like is this yeah. real is this not like this doesn't happen in real life this is not how a slumber party goes mm-hmm. but because we're kind of already in this dreamy context It seems off to us as viewers, but, like, it also strangely seems like it fits into the movie because it is so strange, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does make sense. I I get where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, like, I think, yes, the girls are being watched and we as viewers know they're being watched. So I think it seems like they're playing it up a bit more. But I don't know. Like, I agree that it it is very strange. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's just so weird. I think that this movie is definitely, like... I think that this movie is trying to be more comedic than the original was. I think Mm -hmm. it's trying to pick up on that, like, parody aspect. But at the same time, it's kind of... Because the dialogue is so stilted and because, like, the movie itself just kind of falls flat production-wise. Like, we're just not... Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell whether or not the movie's in on the joke. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of its shortcomings. But I also think that's one of the things that would make it like kind of enjoyable to watch from like a bad point of view. Like it is like one of those movies that's like, this is bad, and I am enjoying it right now because it's bad, or not enjoying it because it's bad. In terms of like what Heidi was thinking when we were
1: watching. Very. True. I saw. I did. I did read something that said like, Slumber Party Massacre Two is not a movie about. A, it's not really a story. It's a mood or it's a vibe.
0: And I, like, I, I definitely, that. I definitely get that. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. there, it's just like I said before. It's like operating on a different level. Like, it's like yeah. I know what I am doing. Do you know what you're doing? Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. I think, I, and I think one of the things that you said while we were watching Natalie, you were like, "This director clearly has a vision, a singular yeah. vision that they have executed <laughs> perfectly. We just don't fully understand what it is."
0: Mm-hmm. Like, some of the shots in that movie are good, and like. Yeah some of the vibes that the movie creates are good and like I might not know what's going on but like I appreciate whatever's happening because like there's something there like especially in yeah. the third act like the first dream that she has before he comes out of uh, he comes out of the dream interesting all of the shots of his whole like solo number mm-hmm. is very interesting like the lighting is interesting everything's like that soft pink
2: mm-hmm. it
0: It's just like I'm like, this is cool. Like there's like a there's something going on here and I'm like here for it. But like the movie is bad. So it's hard to like (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's hard to like take all these pieces and have them like be like, I know for sure that this movie is attempting to say this because Absolutely There's just so much raw material that doesn't like come together fully. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But God, it's so weird. Like it's just so (laughs) weird.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There's definitely, <laughs> I, it's, I, I think it's trying to say something. But, I mean, there's definitely like stuff about romance and predatory romance, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and definitely lots of anxiety, surrounding so sex and sexuality, and uncertainty, and yeah, I just don't know how, I see those themes. I see several different themes, but I don't really see how they, they combine, which is okay, because it's, you know, not every movie needs to have a very clear message but some sort of direction would be nice
0: <laughs> i want to know what the third one is like no but i am like so afraid to watch it no <laughs> i like mm-hmm. the fir- i i genuinely genuinely do think that the first movie is good like i enjoy that movie i think it's a fun time i think that for like it's like you're Like, the way I described it to Heidi when I was explaining in the beginning why I chose this movie as opposed to, like, another classic slasher, because, like, I love slasher films but i chose this one because i feel like it's very much so like a pinnacle of everything that i like about slasher movies so like yeah it has that like feminist Mm -hmm. bent to it like it's it's funny it's kind of campy but not like super campy like the kills are pretty good in the first movie like i like the women i think that the killer is interesting even though we don't really get a lot from him i think that that ending monologue is just so creepy and good that like absolutely yeah yeah. And like I just I just like it. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's like my favorite, but I do think that it is one of those movies that doesn't get the credit that it deserves because mm-hmm. it very much so is like because it was written as a parody, it has all of that like typical slasher junk in it and it's like it is like the mm-hmm. prime version of like what a slasher movie could be. And yeah. I'm like I love that. I think that it really set the scene for more meta slasher films that come out in the future, because like, Mm
2: -hmm. it's
0: like, Hey, we're distilling these tropes and we're going to show them, show you them in a way that can be like interesting and different. And that stuff that we see later on getting played with in like Scream and the movies that come after Scream and that new like slasher Renaissance that happened in the early 2000s and like late 90s. So I, that's why I chose these. And I wanted to watch the second one too because it's just so fucking bad shit. Like, I watched it and I was like, "This is insane! Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. what am I watching? Why is it like that? And what is it?" Yeah. Mean?
2: <laughs> so, so if you forced all of us to watch it too, or yeah, both of us. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean,
0: <laughs> hey, if you are listening to this podcast and you want to see a movie that just is just insane, then you should watch *Slumber Party Massacre* too. You don't even have to see the first one. Genuinely, you don't. It doesn't matter. It They're not the same actresses. It will not help your understanding at all.
1: No. It, <laughs>
0: it Wait, is... were there any of the same actresses? No, no. They probably couldn't afford them, even though the people. The were blonde
1: guy people. looked like the same blonde guy from the first movie,
0: but I couldn't tell. I don't. All all the men in these movies look alike to me, so I don't know. <laughs> Except for the thriller killer with the second movie, he he stands alone. He is phenomenal. Yeah. He did a wonderful <laughs> job. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, I I just really like these movies, and I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about them today. And I yeah. highly recommend them both for very different reasons. And
2: <laughs> I love the hesitation you went both
0: for different reasons. <laughs> but yeah, I think that they're a really fun time, and eventually we'll talk about more highbrow slasher films because, like, I'm yeah. bringing this to the table, mm-hmm. of course,
1: highbrow slasher.
0: Yeah. I know. Yeah. Slasher movies are the movies that I grew up watching the most of. Yeah. They are the movies I gravitated towards when I was, like, in middle school and I was, like, really getting into horror. So, like, I, mm-hmm. they just have a really special place in my heart. And I'm really glad that we could start mm-hmm. off all of this by talking about slasher films. So, yay! Um, which one of us is going to pick our next movie?
2: I I believe it's me. It's Heidi. Are you picking? Yeah. So, I am picking a black and white film from 1961 called The Innocents. It is an adaptation of The Turn of the Screw, but it's like partially adapted by Truman Capote. So it's going to be really fun. All I'm going to say is... That's all I'm going to say. Hold on, let me interrupt you. Uh, I think it's very fitting that we follow the Slumber Party Massacre movies up, especially the second one with like, it's kind of queer reading with The Innocents. That's all I'm going to say
0: i will say mm-hmm. on the record that i love this movie so i'm like yeah I, when heidi said she was gonna pick an old movie i was kind of worried because like i don't I'm, I'm hit or miss but i yeah. love the innocence <laughs> it's like one of my faves so i'm very excited yeah. that this is what she picked
2: oh <laughs> yeah i'll go
1: into
0: more of why i picked it next time but
1: yeah i have not seen it but i'm up for anything
0: okay so next time we're gonna watch the innocence laura it's available on youtube if you haven't yeah. seen it yet. or like hey if you guys want to watch it before we talk about it, it's a really good movie, and it is available on YouTube for free. So,
2: Which maybe we shouldn't say. Why? Maybe they'll take it down. They're not going to take oh. it down. Not, we
0: genuinely do not have that much clout. The That's three valid. People, the three people who are listening <laughs> to the first episode of this podcast. bless do I know. My mom said <laughs> she listen. Secondly. My mom said she'd listen. hi Laura's mom it's very nice to meet you Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've heard nothing but good things Um, if you want to watch The Innocents before we talk about it next time it's available (laughs) on YouTube it's the full film thank you everybody for listening to our inaugural episode of Slash of Blondes we appreciate you so much especially if you made it all the way this far like what? thank you if you liked listening then keep an eye out for our next episode we're going to be talking about The Innocents like how you said very excited about that um, ladies do you have anything you want to add before we say goodbye
1: nope every rust has its thorn.
0: <laughs> end of episode done cut <laughs> <laughs>